Dakota St. Clair, and I'm joined by my two lovely co-hosts. I'm Vince Vance. And I'm Daphne Malfitano. <laughs> and they are we did so it. excited to be here for this awesome episode <laughs> where we're going to talk almost. about our collectively favorite goddess. She's the one yep. that we always want to spend the most time talking so about. Good. It's great. Rah, rah, democracy is yeah. the best for you and me. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot. So today is our episode on Athena. Ooh. Yay. Ooh. Um, so on that note, <laughs> let's go ahead and start out with like where you've heard of them, initial thoughts. What, what are your thoughts walking into this episode about the goddess Athena? I'm going to be honest. The thought of linguistically the letter b and the letter h being somehow connected and instead of owls going who they've been booing athena this whole time is where my mind's at boo um, yeah. i like that <laughs> um because that's hilarious um but i guess yeah it's just oh i took that first part a completely different way i was like how do you linguistically get from b to h bitch ho 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 i thought that's what oh. you were doing and i was like that's beneath you <laughs> then, oh no but no just the joke about owls, <laughs> no, it's actually just owls yelling thing. boo i do like that yeah <laughs> shady owls I feel like, yeah, I feel like that pretty much sums up how I feel about Athena. It's just avoiding the topic by talking about something cooler. I feel like I, <laughs> I'm, I'm always interested to, like, trace my childhood feelings about these characters because they're very, like, you know, the way talking to kids is fun because they just say whatever and, like, where did they, get, where did they do research? Nowhere. They just made a weird snap yeah. judgment. But usually <laughs> their judgment is, like, kind of weirdly accurate. So I'm kind of interested to think of, like, what did I think of these gods as a kid and like i we talked about how i felt i had like really strong feelings about hera as a kid for whatever reasons that now make a lot right. of sense um i didn't give a <laughs> shit about athena at all that's exactly how i felt did not care thought athena how? was boring and didn't care about yeah yeah absolutely to, i think because i like wasn't into it's not that I wasn't into politics, but I wasn't into the idea. Also, it's a weird concept for a kid. Well, I think that's what it is. I wasn't into the idea of that type of power. It's a weird concept for a kid to be like, she's the goddess of wisdom. Yeah. Like, she's Bro, the goddess of my... wisdom. And I'm like, uh-huh. You know what she I mean? Was like, my favorite I, she was for your, that reason. Vince is, Vince, I feel like Vince's favorite. That was literally my first favorite <laughs> Greek god was Athena. It's I so funny because I can't possibly like... see how we got from there to here. In your way of thinking, and I you got being wise, yeah. super theoretical and analytical, <laughs> that, I'm sure that didn't start then. That you definitely wasn't happening the then. I made, I sculpted an owl out of clay, put it on like an unscrewed broomstick, oh. and dressed up as her as Athena for four, in like fourth grade. What's the matter? Um, Hang on. Oh. Are you not recording? So mad. Hold on. Nope, still recording. So what's the matter? 
My iTunes just started playing randomly at full volume. Oh, oh. weird. That's okay. <laughs> I don't know what could have started that, but Portis Head at full volume <laughs> just started blasting oh. into I think that's the right, my ear. That's like our mood right now, though. Like Portis Head is a yeah. very good representation. I'm not even kidding you. <laughs> I was like, oh, I might as well throw on the old album. Like your <laughs> iTunes <laughs> just gets where we're at. <laughs> we're having feelings. I was listening to. Th- I'm a really big fan of Portis Head. I was yeah. listening to Third. Um, and then I was like, oh, I should throw Dummy on. Like, that's the classic. And then I was like, I got busy with something right as I had started it. So, of course, it's right in the, the heart of sour times. And <laughs> all of a sudden, I just hear, nobody loves me. It's true. You should probably like, that in. You should just leave That's that about, that's there we go. At. There it is. Your computer also, knows. I was doing, I was wrong. I was doing Hoover Phonic. That's. <laughs> that, that wasn't even poor to say. <laughs> oh my but, god but yeah i i think that um athena is like i think like she represents a bunch of things that like to me as a kid were not not only not interesting to me but not like not that like knowledge wasn't interesting to me but like kind of the power that she represented just like was boring to me like she wasn't also like not quirky enough or something like i don't know i just feel like she didn't I didn't really give a shit about her at all. Well, and I'm she's not, not sure... exactly the image of charisma. No, so... she's like too, she's a little too serious. And like, I, I just didn't. So it's funny. I've gone from like, as a kid, really not mm. paying that much attention to her to now, like finding her really like what I don't want to be, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's kind of like my opinion's only gone down, really. Yeah, I guess I think I just like one owls are sick. Two, I think just being like a goddess of wisdom was cool, especially given like, I don't know that I just wasn't, I don't think I was like attracted to like the wild shit that some of the other gods were doing. I was like, this is irresponsible. Um, <laughs> um, and then also I think like the, her role, like in a lot of the stories I had read was like, she was coming in being like, I, just, I don't know, just like the idea of like a hero getting like super like magic weapons and shit has just always been attractive to me and athena was usually the one giving them um i think i'm so averse to heroes that that's probably what happened it like was baby with the bathwater with me that i was mm. like oh that's your only thing i'm good like i don't need any part of that like i don't care about hercules it's not what i want to learn about like tell me about the monsters tell me about all this other shit like i yeah i was it- no if you slap a name on on like an inanimate object that isn't even like vaguely shaped like a weapon, I'm probably interested. Like the <laughs> idea of like legendary weapons is absolutely my shit. Yeah, that's weird because I, I am it. too, but not. But I, I I don't know. I didn't. It didn't translate for me at, as a kid. But like now, I think that's. I also was super into Hercules as a kid, but not mm. like be, not him. See, I wasn't. That I wasn't into him. I was just into the myth because it so many, much cool shit happened. There was a bunch of monsters. Yeah. It was like a bunch <laughs> of awesome games. Like I felt like yeah. I wanted to be him, but like I didn't care about him. Like he whatever didn't even really make an impression. But like I just wanted to be a badass and like do all the cool stuff. But like I don't know. There's just something about her. She's just like. Uh, too serious too real world like not enough artsy fartsy shit for me mm. also i really yeah. like the drama yeah yeah i don't know i i think for me it was like she was kind of a non-factor and then i started to kind of regard her as like 
I don't know why. I had this idea of like, oh, well, she's the level-headed one of the bunch, which is boring, but probably <laughs> necessary because oh, yeah. she'd be the only one. And so I sort of I had a sort of respect for her for that. Also, I mean, her image is undeniable. You know, you have this woman who is she's not regal because she's not a queen. You know, she's sort of stately, if you will. And yeah. she's in full armor, but she's got these really beautiful flowing robes. And she's got a spear. And she's got a plumed helm and she's got a shield and she's got the owl on her shoulder. And I'm like, that really it's a cool strikes. Look. It's cool. Just strikes an image. It's really yeah. makes an impression. <laughs> and also, she's almost always like in all white, which you don't see a lot of the other goddesses doing. You'll see like that's the typical ancient Greek thing, but you don't really see the other goddesses dressed that way because usually there's there's something that's supposed to like indicate their rank or what they're in charge of or whatever. And I just always remember her being really striking, but sort of being unapproachable. Yeah. And mm-hmm. as I got older, I sort of I sort of appreciated that more. But then I, as I started to like really do even more deep dives into the myths, as I got older, I was always learning the myths. But as I got older, I was deep diving more from a I believe these gods are real vantage point. Mm-hmm. And then that's when my opinion started to shift on a lot of things. Mm. And I think Athena most of all, which we'll talk about why in this episode. So if we're going to start anywhere, especially with Athena, you have to start with her birth. So (laughs) Zeus's first wife, who we've talked about several times, was named Metis. She was the Titaness of Wisdom. Without her, Zeus couldn't have really done anything. He couldn't have usurped the throne. He couldn't have won the Titanomachy. So, you know, she was really responsible for a lot of the progress that he made. But it was after all this had passed and there was a moment of peace that he suddenly realized that there was a major risk in having this brilliant goddess around. um, Because should he be disloyal or upset her, she could just fucking end him. You know what I mean? And he would never see it coming. So there's that. Then also, and this is a part of uh, a lot of the major uh, tellings of the myths around this time, that Aranos and Gaia approached him and prophesied that if she was to bear him a son, that child would be like his utter destruction. Like that child would overthrow him. Right. And so, of course, Zeus begins to fear Metis. So he challenges her to a game. Which god can take on the most shapes? And we've mentioned this before, the sort of Mad Madam Mim and Merlin showdown. They both furiously shape-changed into the many animals of the earth, resulting in a draw. And so Zeus challenges Metis again, who can transform into the smallest animal possible. They become, you know, forms that are smaller and smaller and smaller until Metis changes herself into a fly. Zeus, who was a bird at the moment, snatches her up and eats her, just as Cronus had eaten the children that he had so feared. But little did he know, Metis had been pregnant. So, he eats Metis, but here's the thing. Metis, the mother of wisdom and deep thought, was originally depicted as a trickster. Her brilliance was magical cunning. And it's at this point that we see it most clearly. If Zeus wanted to consume her, it was first to remove her as a threat and second to consume and absorb her mind. He had achieved the first, but she was not going to allow him to achieve the second. 
she built a forge in Zeus's head and started to craft her child armor and weapons, spending considerable amounts of time forging the helmet and adorning it with a sacred plume. She gave birth to Athena in Zeus's belly and raised her up, adorning her in her newly crafted regalia. However, Metis's constant hammering had caused Zeus immense pain, so much so that he finally gave in and begged Hephaestus to split his head open, which Hephaestus did, either with a hammer or an axe, and Zeus's head split open, out of it erupting the fully grown, armed and armored, glorious, gray-eyed Athena. In some telling, she comes out of the head screaming a war cry. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Which I'm like, hell yes, that's yeah, the fucking that's awesome. look. <laughs> So what became of Metis? Well, we don't know for sure. Some would say that she was subsumed into Zeus, giving him some supposed brilliance. But given that we have such a lack of evidence for said brilliance, yeah. it's far more likely <laughs> it's far more likely as others have surmised throughout the ages that she bestowed upon her daughter her very essence, passing away in the process. That makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. So what do we think about the birth? I mean, I've had migraines, yeah. like. That's I've wanted to crack my head open. It would be really weird if like an entire adult human came out of me, but screaming a war cry. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> uh, that's a badass way to be born, though. I think it's rad. I think it's one of my favorite birth myths, and yeah. that was always yeah. the thing that I like. Really, that was one of the things I liked about her for the longest time. Also, just being born an adult is awesome. I was going to say, it's like Zeus never got a chance to, like, really, like, um, and theoretically, it didn't matter because Athena made decisions after that. But, like, Zeus didn't have her as, like, a child to, like, influence. Like, she came out the way that she was. Yeah. Um, which I think is supposed to give her some constancy in, in her, like, you know, Judgment concept, or whatever, yeah. Clearly that's not the case. Well, we'll definitely talk about this in her episode, but there is a... A lot of times you can more fully illustrate the character of one of the gods by who their counterpart in that instance is supposed to be. And mm. so in that instance, actually Aphrodite is her counterpart, because don't forget Aphrodite was never a child. Yeah, also just sort right. of adult. Yeah, and yeah. so one of the ways that Aphrodite's behavior is sort of explained is that she still has the impetuous spirit of, like, a child. And that's why she is bratty and, you know, throws tantrums if she doesn't get what she wants and all of that. And that's supposed to be the big difference between them is that, oh, well, Athena's not like that. Which, if you listen to our M4 episode, yeah, I, mean... I think you might have some questions about throwing tantrums. <laughs> <laughs> she might be a bit of a baby also. So let's talk purview and domain. What, from your recollection, is Athena in charge of? I feel like she's more um, with people. Is that real? Feminine subscription to patriarchy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Athens. Yeah, like the city. Uh, like, like, you know, bureaucratic shit. Uh, like, you know, yay, olive trees, because oil is useful for stuff. Just, like, practicality. Also, is she, law, <laughs> is she like, law and order? Or? So, she's the Olympian Ooh. goddess of wisdom and good counsel. Okay, counsel war, is kind of, yeah. The defense of towns and cities. Weaving, pottery, and all handicrafts, which she was right. supposed to have invented. And she's the patron goddess of heroes and heroic endeavors, because she aided Perseus, Heracles, Bellerophon, Jason, and many others. 
It shows you how different society is that we live in now. Um, that like the same goddess, like now you would never have the same goddess in charge of like heroes and sort of like war and like you know cities and like justice and stuff like that, and also handicrafts. <laughs> like you would just never have that in our version. Why? It. She's like, the classic hashtag girl boss. She does yeah, it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's too like. <laughs> Because, like, yeah, crafts, I, I guess it shows you how crafts have have been taken less seriously now. Like, it's they don't matter anymore because factories balance. exist. You can't be a girl boss without having an appropriate work-life balance. And clearly, the life part, you fill with little crafts. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, is that when you actually look at the handicrafts thing, today we see it as a hobby. Right, then it was necessity. As, yeah. It was a necessity, but it was also really the the house in which invention for the longest time yeah. like the inventive spirit of humans kind of manifested. I mean, and I'm so, all, I'm all about that. I think that's like brilliant. Like I think knowing how to do those things is much more valuable, but I think in our society for sure that's like comes off as surprising because we don't value those type of things very much anymore. It's like well, we take them for granted that they already exist. It you exists have to think about anyway. like what yeah. kind of mind comes up with weaving. Not totally. just good at weaving, not just creating a new type of weaving, but creates weaving. Right. Like, so that's you can wild. have fabric and you can have baskets and you can have right. like you can make uh, sails. Sails, exactly. Anything. I was going to say parts of ships. Yeah. I mean, it I, makes sense. It's just fun. I think it's interesting to see how that is like that would never be like if you were making up gods for the 21st century. Like that would never be the same person. <laughs> well, you know who would get it is Hestia. Yeah, exactly. Because she'd sit by the fire knitting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, imagine, like, a woman it. a woman running for office and, like, it, you know, she's waiting in the hallway to go into a meeting and she's, like, knitting or sewing or something. I mean, like, that's, like, our society would fucking rip that apart. Like, that's not cool. But If she lived in the South, I assume it would be a prerequisite. Well, yeah. Yeah, you're probably Sort right. of. But again, a way to dimin- um, but in, even then it would be used as a way to diminish her or like it would be yes. a way to like mock to like make her, her seem non-threatening. Yeah. Yeah. So what does she look like to you? She, I always think of head. the Empress card. Okay. Like huh. sort of like seated on. Well, not necessarily seated. I mean, I know she's like standing a lot of the time in depictions, but like. Do you armor- mean the Empress or Justice? No, the Empress, I feel like. Well, my Empress anyway. Is is oh. kind of a mix of because the classic empress is like more girly. She's like an earth mother that's pregnant that's like sitting in a grain field. Oh yeah, that's not my empress. And has like a crown on. Well, that then... that's like the Rider Waite one. Yeah, I'm just yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. No, I mean, I guess I would be able to see it if I saw it. I would think of it, but I think like I just think of her as like obviously like half girly clothes, half armor. I think right, is the thing. right, yeah. Like a flowy dress, but with like a breastplate over it and like holding a bunch of stuff. I feel like cool. that's like, but more like I was going to say that's like every god, but I guess it's not. Not every I god. Like, I don't think of every god as like holding a bunch of props. Or being which, in armor. But her, I definitely do. Yeah. I think like for a really long time, I just thought of her like kind of how I would think of like a Virgo sense of fashion would be, which is like, it has to be practical and utilitarian. Yeah. And so like her shit is fresh, but it's like, it's like very much so practical. Cause she's also like got all this other shit to do. And I do really like the Hades, like perception of her where she's kind of like, she's, she has a warrior's body, but she also still is feminine. 
Mm. Um, and like having her armor kind of like reflect that as well. Um, as opposed to it be like armor because it's like specifically crafted for her, right? So it's not just like anybody's armor. Right. Um, and so like I think Metis um, I had to check because I always get them as a Metis. <laughs> no, it's Metis. So, you got it. Um, but I think Metis knowing that she was having a daughter. Don't be a Metis, Walt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think like Metis knew she was having a daughter, you know, and mm. I feel like she would take care of that in the things that she was leaving behind for her. Um, so I guess, I, yeah, I think I have always thought of her as like, um, I think whereas some of the other gods are more gaudy, I think she would maybe because like she's the one. I feel like part of it is too is she's the one that like appears to mortals in a way that doesn't fry them yeah. the most. I guess yeah. And so I think she would like kind of tone it down because that would be more practical for her to like actually be able to have conversations that she needs to get information. You know, through. I think for me, I had always pictured her as like a more elegant Joan of Arc, and mm, so yeah. More, um, more like matronly. Like I feel like Jennifer Arc's like yeah, a more matronly. Ragamuffin compared yeah, to yeah, right, yeah. and very young. And so like yeah, I, exactly. I just sort of yeah, exactly. Like the adult um, version. <laughs> so she's classically depicted as a dignified woman in full armor and a plumed helm, bearing a spear and a shield. She is always wearing her aegis, which bears the Gorgonian. The Gorgonian is when it's Medusa's head. She is most often called gray-eyed, and she is always depicted as being beautiful. However, she is not soft, often being called masculine or handsome. Hmm. In terms of a retinue, it's Nike, which we talked about pretty extensively in the past. Her attributes Nikeology are her Aegis, armor, helmet, spear, Medusa's head, the Gorgonian. And her sacred objects and things are owl, olive, tree, and snakes. One thing to know about Athena is that she loves turning mortals who displease her into animals, and she shares her parents' skill for shape-changing as well. However, she almost always takes on the form of a bird. And when she's showing favor, she often turns someone into a bird. Oh. Um, yeah. She's <laughs> just like birds. Not yeah. an owl, though. Just like another kind of bird. <laughs> no, just a different kind of bird. She doesn't turn anybody into an owl. Uh, so, friends and enemies. <laughs> Athena, Artemis, and Persephone were said to be raised together in Sicily and were fast friends when young. It was when they were playing with the nymphs and gathering flowers that Persephone was led away by a black narcissus flower, under which Hades erupted from the earth and snatched her away. Before the incident that we're about to discuss, Athena and Hephaestus were at the very least esteemed colleagues and effective counterparts, each bestowing skills to mortal artists and artisans, teaching humanity the arts of the loom and the forge, of the pottery wheel and the chisel. To the Greeks, he was vastly inferior to her. So that is important to remember. Mm. So next we're going to do children. <laughs> tumbleweed, tumbleweed. Yeah. Tumbleweed. <laughs> there are two. Hey. Yeah, there are two. Two. What? Yes. One day, Athena visited Hephaestus at his forge with new plans for armor and weapons for him to craft. And for whatever reason, he decided this was a great moment to attempt to rape her. What? She fought him off, but apparently he got off on the struggle And he ejaculated all over her thigh. Disgusted, she took a piece of wool and wiped the mess off her leg and flung it to earth. It landed in some freshly tilled soil, and so out of Gaia was born a child. This is a crime scene. Yeah. I did remember that Hephaestus had a child with Gaia, but I forgot that Athena was (laughs) So Gaia was like the surrogate mom who carried the fertilized egg. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Learning of his existence, Athena chose to show her son, Eric Thonius, whose name means Troubles Born from the Earth, which I wish <laughs> that was my name. Um, she showed him mercy and placed him in a small box, secreting him away to be raised out of the sight of Olympus. Because obviously, if Athena has a kid, like people are going to be worried. She gave the box to the three daughters of Kekrops, the king of Athens. However, she warned them that they must never look inside the box. Of course, they looked in the fucking box, and they were terrified by what they beheld. A child. (laughs) (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. In some versions, it's an infant with the lower half of a snake. In others, it's an infant who's covered in snakes. Either way, they were drew- <laughs> like attached or not attached. No, not just attached. Oh, just like just a, a bed of snakes. Yeah, right. Yeah, they were driven mad and they threw themselves off the Acropolis. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I can't even say it. Don't ever look in the box. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? The kid turned out pretty great. He grew up and went on to become king of Athens himself, marrying a naiad and having a son. Athena was out great. Out of the box. <laughs> Athena was a good mother, protecting him always. He honored her by founding the Panathenaic Festival in her honor and by setting up a statue of her in the Acropolis. Suck up. Yeah, right? He (laughs) demonstrated his divine heritage by teaching the people of Athens chariot racing, how to smelt silver, and how to till the earth for farming. Having the bottom half of a snake, he wasn't exactly equipped for chariot racing per se, so he invented the (laughs) four-horse chariot, going on to be the greatest charioteer of his time. Zeus was so proud of his grandson that he cast him in the stars as the charioteer after his death. Okay, so here's what doesn't make sense to me, right? Under no circumstance should this child, theoretically, if we're doing a pennant square, be like a demigod, right? The parentage is all divine. That depends on who you ask, because Hephaestus is not, uh, Hephaestus is a full god. But Hephaestus already comes from technically like a deluded thing because he only has his mom and he was born deformed. And so that's the reason given. I mean, this baby was also a jizzy napkin thrown on the ground. (laughs) So Right, like didn't actually (laughs) get carried. That's what I was going to say. The the other reason is he wasn't carried in a a goddess's womb, not the goddess who like he should have been carried in. Yes, but it was Gaia. He's basically you know? a petri dish. Comrade yeah. on the ground. Oh. Right. Yes. Thank you. That's it. <laughs> now, why is her thing the owl and not the raven? If you look at a lot of other mythologies from Europe, you would see, like, look at Norse, right? With Ugin and Munin, the two ravens that chill out on Odin's shoulders, right? Like, mm-hmm. they go out into the world, they see what's going on, they come back, they tell him, right? He has self-separation anxiety from them. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, originally, she did have the raven and not the owl, but apparently ravens are gossipy bitches, and they couldn't keep the secret of her son's birth to themselves wow. and spread the word all over Greece. That's hilarious. So she turned the raven's formerly white feathers black as night and banished it from her presence. And this is why ravens and owls are bitter enemies to this day. Since It actually is an upgrade, though, because I think of owls as being like wisdom and ravens as being like more like information or knowledge. Do you know what I mean? Also, like, trickstery, for sure. Yeah, like, they go out, they, they're definitely, like, they're, like, knowledge, but not wisdom. They're, like, knowledge because they were spying on someone and will, like, bring you back information. Whereas I feel like um, owls don't have to go do stuff. They just, like, know. I'm sorry. I can't sit here for Raven Slander. But it's not, uh, no, it's not Raven not, Slander. But how is it Slander? It's absolutely Raven Slander. Really? I don't think Ravens, so. Ravens 
build ancestral homes? No, but or I don't, are they I, pass I, it information was a down generations? What else is wisdom? No, I agree, but I, I guess I true. mean they're perceptive as in like they're interact. I don't think of owls as interacting with the world that much. I think they just, they're like the hermit. They just like have the knowledge already and are just like, they, they're like power, like an everlasting wisdom. Whereas I feel like ravens have a more I just think ravens are wily. They're, They're wily. more interactive with the world around them, which I actually think is a compliment. I just, ah, man. <laughs> like, it's and there's so many stories. There's so many stories, like, from all over of, like, ravens being almost like a cat. Like, their curiosity yeah, gets them yeah, in yeah. trouble. I'm not saying yeah. they're not wise. I'm saying it's No, not at all. It's like, they're just more, like, they're more interactive. They're, like, learning all the time. They're adapting. I don't think owls are adapting at all. I think owls are exactly who they are. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I just think it's a different kind of about corvids they're no, just both, they're both not, awesome this we is not corvid slander we went into an entire thing about the intelligence of owls and how precious all corvids are and how they need to be upheld for their true value and we still all feel that way and we still all feel that way it's fake so, news that we disagreed on any of right this. absolutely thank you <laughs> it is <laughs> So let's move on to Bebe number two. It's her- this is inner inner podcast drama starting so that we can have a we got to get a fandom. Wiki we need some memes. About yeah. our, about we literally only have Team Vince. That's no, it. Oh, see, this, this is, is it. one of the pages. So we next have Hermathena, which oh. <laughs> okay, Hermathena is often called the child, the composite, or the crystallization of Hermes and the Athena, composite. who absolutely never bumped uglies. But it does make sense that they would have something born of the two of them because they're highly effective counterparts. Both rule the mind and its capabilities, but in different ways. This is best exemplified by looking at the signs that they each are tied to, Virgo and Gemini. Both are ruled by Mercury, the planet of thought, intellect, language, communication, travel, and ideas. Virgo exemplifies these properties in the arts and sciences, sharp judgment, a keen eye, quick thinking, organization, and successful battle strategy. This, of course, is Athena. Gemini exemplifies this with eloquence, cunning, stealth, and craft, as in the trickster, and liminality, as in the psychopomp. This, of course, is Hermes. Both are exceedingly clever. It's their method of achieving their goals, which differs. Hermathena was a sort of alchemical androgen, a fusion of ideals, and this makes sense, as they, they seem to have had their own worship, but no myths explaining their birth or implying at all that it was natural. It seems fairly obvious that if having a thought baby was possible, that these two gods would be the ones to manage it. That's kind of sick. awesome. Yeah. Like, I think of them, like, going to, like, they're like, hey, can you do that thought plane thing where you're, like, not really here? And they're like, yeah, I can do that. And then they both go to, like, this thought plane, and they're just, like, thoughts mixing around. And then Hermathena shows up, and they're like, oh, shit, that's crazy. Yeah, they just, like, accidentally thought so hard they thought a person. <laughs> yeah, they thought, like, <laughs> they thought yeah. language given form to, to the – they're just shouting at each other on the thought plane, and then they're, like, doing it so passionately that it just becomes form. That's or they're cool. both just, like, sitting there being like, God, why can't everybody else just be like us? Like, you know what I mean? Like, they would be smart. <laughs> yeah, they'd be so smart. Yeah. And, and, clever, and, and they're yeah. literally just assembling yeah. a fucking yeah. person <laughs> as they're doing it. Oh, God. <laughs> So let's move on to some myths with Athena. First up, we have Pallas, or as I like to call it, single white female. (laughs) Pallas was the daughter of the ocean god Triton, granddaughter of Poseidon, who acted as the Hermes slash messenger of the seas. She was the childhood playmate of Athena, and they were intimately bonded, training and sparring each day. 
It is even said in some myths that after she was born from Zeus's head, Athena was sent away to Triton in order to be raised in the art of war alongside his own daughter, Pallas. During some very important games, they were doing a demonstration of what they learned thus far, sparring for the crowd. This story is told a million ways, and it's usually Zeus's fault, but Athena <laughs> makes a horrible mistake and Pallas ends up dead. She was inconsolable over the death of her closest friend and confidant. She built a statue in her honor, even going so far as to adopt her name, coming to be called Pallas Athena. Oh, and she crafted her aegis from her skin. Oh. Okay. So there's um, All right, Hannibal. That. Jeez. Yeah. Mm, I'll take your name. Crafts. I'll take your skin. It's because I love you. That's definitely odd. Crafts. Andy yeah. Crafts. Andy Crafts. Fuck you. That is some Ed shit right there. Oh my god. Oh Andy god. It's made of handy scraps. It's Athena's Aegis. I hate it. <laughs> I love it. This is like a weird horror movie. She's getting more interesting. Yeah, she well, she's fucking twisted. I'll tell she you that is. right she's now. She's a sicko. I, I mean, she is Zeus's she daughter. Zeus's like she is <laughs> Zeus's Rob's daughter. Dig in the ditches and burn. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so next we go to the the Gigantomachy. Athena played a major oh. role in the Gigantomachy because she would have been born by then, I guess. She's around, yeah. yeah. We see this in three instances. The f- <laughs> Daphne just shaking their head. Oh my god! Again, what, what is time, what is man? Time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we see her play a major role in the Gigantomachy in three instances. The first of which is her role in finding Heracles and bringing him into the battle, even though there's no mortals. Uh, the second is her resounding defeat of Enceladus. Remember that there were 12 giants to take on the 12 Olympians, and each was perfectly matched in strengths. She outwitted him, and eventually he went on to attempt to retreat. Athena was not having this, so she either picked up Sicily and threw it at him, or <laughs> otherwise crushed him under Mount Etna. Oh my god. I like throwing Sicily like like a fucking kunai, just like, Huzzah! Well, Sicily, <laughs> Sicily's already like the ball that the boot is kicking, so... Yeah. yeah. It's like punt Sicily over there. That's amazing. The third is her role in the battle against Typhon. Although Typhon was a god by birthright, he was also a monstrous serpentine giant and was considered the deadliest creature in all of Greek mythology. In fact, he would, along with Echidna, bring forth into the world all of its monsters. Hesiod called him, again, what we all want on our graves, (laughs) terrible, outrageous, and lawless. (laughs) Describing him as immensely powerful, with 100 arms, 100 heads, each with eyes of fire, and 100 snake heads on each shoulder that could breathe fire and make every kind of noise. Nonus went a step further, giving Typhon not just snake heads, but also uh, saying that like the center head of a hundred was human ask and the, all the rest oh, of them were basically any animal that you could think so of awesome. leopards lions bulls boars bears cattle wolves dogs all that of would it would be a monster i know which would make quote the cries of all wild beasts together a babble of screaming sounds wow i can't tell and you know i'm not usually horny on main in our podcast but that sound i'm not sure if i'm like i aspire to that or i'm just like this is this is a good sound. 
I have two dogs uh, that bark at the same time sometimes, and it's awful. So I don't. I'm not sure I even want the this. the cacophony. I was of all just gonna say, literally, there was a moment in last week's episode where Daphne went, "This is how I have sex," and that's exactly what I was just gonna say. And then I let <laughs> you say that. So apparently. We have something in common. There you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Typhon burst forth from the earth, standing so tall that his heads reached the stars, roaring and belching fire. He strode towards Olympus, the earth shaking under his footsteps. The gods of Olympus were so terrified of Typhon's furious approach that they abandoned their mountaintop and under Pan's guidance transformed into animals and fled to Egypt. This story was actually a syncretic device. It illustrated which Egyptian god each of the gods was linked with through the animal they chose. I was so excited to include this for Vince. I know this is like your shit. Yeah. Apollo changed into a hawk, which would be, do you want to play Uh, this game with me? Yeah. Horus. Boom. Hermes changed into an ibis, which would be Thoth or Jehudi. Right. Then we have Ares, who changed into a fish. This one's a little less common. Yeah, I actually don't know this one. Lepidotus or Anurus. Artemis changed into a cat, which would be Bastet. Yeah, Neith or Bastet. Dionysus turned into a goat, which would be I guess Set. Oh. Yeah, Osiris. 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 Uh-huh. Interesting. I, you know what? That yes, that makes it, a lot more sense. At first, I went a go. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hephaestus changed into an ox, which would be the ox. Pita. Oh. I don't know how yes. to actually say it, but it's P T A H. Yeah. Yeah. And it's then like a- Leto changed into a mouse, which would be Wajet. Yeah. Okay. So. That's the funny thing about these two is that I think they're definitely uh, from the Greek vantage point, right? Because as the dynasties change, too, some of the animals change. So then I'm like, wait, there's hmm, which one was a mouse at some point? Right, right. <laughs> so that's cool though. The rest of the gods transformed however they could and fled as well. Once everyone was safely underway, Pan transformed his bottom half into that of a fish and his top half into that of a goat. The source for Capricorn's sea goat icon. Oh. What is we organize the escape? Like I don't. What's the, what's the message? <laughs> <laughs> Only Zeus remained behind to take on this apocalyptic battle. That is until he looked yeah. to his right to see his radiant daughter, armed and armored, blazing for battle. Together they waged a war upon Typhon, which rent the earth and shook the sky and shattered the seas. And they emerged victorious, having laid the beast low and burying him deep in the earth, placing Mount Etna atop his grave. And this is the source of the mountain's volcanic activity. Cool. That's cool, but also, like, fuck them, because, like, Typhon, Typhon. Yeah, Right. Agreed. Like, Typhon. I just want to have a sit-down, like, interview with Typhon at some point and just figure out what his deal is, because he seems worth prayers. Yeah, for sure. You know, like... All he, literally all he's trying to do is avenge his mom and like yeah. ostensibly his brothers who got a raw deal. Like that's yeah. his whole thing. And I'm like, all right, well with that evidence, it seems like we align at least somewhat. We like you, late. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. Sure. I also think it's interesting that they just like that the Greeks were so concerned about being like, yo, we knew the we. It's almost like it's almost like 
clout surfing? Yes. Yes. Like, yo, 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 yo. But for real, like me, we and the Egyptians hug out all the time. We're going to make a bunch of stories about it. Right. Totally knew the Egyptians. Well, y'all know the Egyptians, right? Yeah. We, yeah, we hang out all the time. I mean, the Romans did it a lot more than the Greeks, but the Greeks definitely were not immune to like being super (laughs) in love with anything that was older than them. So they definitely were all about that. I mean, same. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. So, as we do our Greek mythology podcast, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thirsting for Typhon, the primordial, right? <laughs> absolutely. Like, like, out, what, what was the term? <laughs> out here, horny on Maine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next, we do the patronage of Athens. So Athena and Poseidon competed to be the patron god of Athens. Each agreed to give the Athenians one gift, and then King Kekrops, who. I guess his daughters are still alive at this point, um, would choose which they preferred. Poseidon raised his trident and struck the ground with it. Water rushed forth, creating a spring. The Athenians were impressed and several stepped forward and drank of the spring. However, they immediately became sick as the ocean god had summoned forth salt water. What the fuck? Seeking to recover from this embarrassment, Poseidon presented the Athenians the first horse. Of course, love, of course. I love this. He's always got a horse I in his back pocket. I love Poseidon being like, water. And then I'm like, oh, God, sick. Yeah, yeah right. There's a horse. Right. I also love the idea of, like, if you've ever – I like to watch a lot of, like, um, I Survived and stuff like that where they oh, talk about, obsessed. like – Obsessed, obsessed. Yeah, where they talk about, like, what happens to you if you do drink the seawater and how you, like, hallucinate and you take all your clothes off. It's real shit. bad. So yeah. Yeah. just thinking about these, like, little idiots yeah, just, like, yeah. drinking the water and being like – it's a little salty. Oh, like it's just like losing their mind. Mortal, why do you shun my gift? Oh my and like, God. One of the like little fish people come and say, like, oh, "My lord, they uh, they actually need fresh. They can't. Yeah, they my can't do that. not. And I, also, I love that could be the moment that that Poseidon even finds out about fresh water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, fresh water. What is this? Uh, he's like, I just brought oh, this so from sweet. the sea. This is fresh. Give me some. It's, like, it's so sweet. Why don't we have this down there? <laughs> or he's like super like white lady cook. He's like, oh, too spicy. Too Put spicy. it away. <laughs> I prefer brackish. Yeah. I, I also totally love, I love imagining Poseidon like as embarrassed as he would be from this. Like, yes. He, I don't think he would deal with that very well. No. Uh, I'm surprised uh, he didn't just well, literally flood yeah, the like, shore uh, right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, horse. Typhoon. Yeah. <laughs> um, horse, right. horse is his way out of everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, they're it. pretty sick. <laughs> so he he presents the first horse, and the people are terrified. <laughs> Athena then waves her hand, and a lush olive tree erupts out of the earth, standing tall and proud, offering the people food, oil, and wood. Cacrops chooses Athena, and yeah. then to Poseidon's deep chagrin. Athena went a step further and crafted a saddle, bridle, and reins for the wild horse that was now running around trampling people, <laughs> offering Damn. people the, to offering to teach the people how to domesticate horses. <laughs> Poseidon like slithers back to the ocean. I didn't even think about this, but now I love the idea of them seeing a horse and being like, "Oh my god, that one's one whatever." 
centaurs is that's a hundred percent bad thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Why I also, bring I love that, that here? like to us a centaur <laughs> is like kind of monstrous and to them they're like Oh God! Where's the human half? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, that one's one hundred. What happened to that one? <laughs> that one was born wrong. It's ah. a horse. <laughs> it's been stretched. That's <laughs> <laughs> just like a deformed centaur. Oh. Um. There's and a. Athena's like, don't look at it. Just put. Just get on top just and, and hold on. Just don't Run look it around. At it. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a there's an additional part to this that I think is really important because we're talking about Athena today. Um, it's said that in uh, the other version of the myths, both yes. are kind of equally as common. That uh, on the one side, King Kekrops just, just decides for everybody. On the other hand, uh, Athens being the founding of democracy, it is said <laughs> that it was the first democratic vote that they ever had. Uh, and each of the Athenians was to vote for which god that they would prefer to have be their patron. And all of the men voted for Poseidon. And all of the women voted for Athena. And there happened to have been one more woman in Athens than men. They so voted Athena for him after won. the saltwater debacle? Yes. And, and the wild horse that probably ate and somebody. The horse. Yeah. What are you going to do? Men are trash. Water is wet. Poseidon's here. Unleashing dysentery. I don't know. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, there was one more woman. And so, Athena wins. And that was the foundational reason why women were stripped of the right to vote in ancient Greek society. Great. And Athena's like, thank you, I still won. I don't care. She's like, well, at least it happened after. (laughs) Right, right. Thank you for everything that you've done. I'll come back for you later. Well, we we know about that? Okay. So next we have Medusa. Woohoo! So now it's time for us to tackle Medusa which most people would say is the first myth they think of if they know anything about Athena. It's important to start out with what most would say is the real story of Medusa. The Gorgons, whose names were Steno, Uriali, and Medusa, were born to Forcus and Keto, two ancient sea gods. They were a part of what we talked about in the Titans, and the Gorgons were Chthonic monsters from the most archaic <sighs> version of the world. These three sisters had three more sisters, the Greae, the three old hags who shared one eye and one tooth among them and served as the inspiration for the fates in the Disney movie. The Gorgons were winged women with venomous snakes for hair. They were classically depicted as having broad heads, serpentine hair, large bulging eyes which were bloody or bloodshot, wide mouths and lolling tongues, tusks of swine, flared nostrils, and sometimes, my favorite, short coarse beards. Oh, of them, it's almost always said that only Medusa was mortal. The three sisters lived on an isolated island, and they bothered no one aside from those who would trespass against them. And then Perseus came and beheaded Medusa one day. When she was beheaded, her children sprang forth from her neck. First was Pegasus, and then the giant Chrysaor, who would father Geryon, the triple-faced giant. They were said to be the children of Medusa and Poseidon, and this is owed to the version that Hesiod gives us, in which they had a consensual union, quote, in a soft meadow and among spring flowers. In this version, she has always been a Gorgon, and they just liked each other a lot. He's her dad, right? No. Oh. No, she is actually much older than him. Oh, that makes... Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Okay, yeah. so they're just, they're just like, if, cousins if anything, or something. They're technically distant cousins, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it was not until the Roman poet Ovid's Metamorphosis, in which he will do anything he can to change people into random shit, that we get the version <laughs> with Athena at all. Here's Athena's version. 
Medusa was a priestess of Athena and so had taken a sacred vow of chastity, remaining a virgin for life. We don't have a ton of backstory for how things actually went down. We just have two versions of the main incident. Essentially, Poseidon raped Medusa on the altar of Athena's temple. There are a few rare versions which say that they were madly in love with each other and that she seduced him on the altar and they got down then and there. Both are told by Ovid, which means this version is probably bullshit because it's just sort of trying to uh, reference the older version and work it in, but without any context. So we can let that go. Now, it's said that Athena witnessed this violence, and once Poseidon had departed, she entered her temple and went on a victim-blaming tirade. She condemned the young priestess for her beauty, blaming her for enticing Poseidon into committing violence against her. So she made her hideously ugly, turning her into the classical Gorgon that we mentioned earlier. Later, she aids Perseus in killing her and collecting her head, which she then uses as her fucking logo, placing it on her shield, her breastplate, and anywhere else she can get it to stick. <laughs> there have been several attempts at reframing this story to fit current feminist ideals with revisionist history, just completely rewriting the original myth to match a narrative which would see Athena as empowering or protecting Medusa, making it so that she could never be raped again. This is just patently false. Overall, we can see quite clearly that Athena is white feminism personified. She's only interested in maintaining her power and privilege, which are afforded given her proximity to patriarchy. She doesn't give a shit about Medusa. She punished the victim because she was not going to take on her uncle, who's one of the big three, or put herself in any sort of uncomfortable position for something as silly as justice. Given what we know about the Greek gods and what we know about her father, this should not be surprising. However, for many of us, like I mentioned earlier, there is this like layer of purity and like steadfastness that we often see attributed to Athena. It makes sense in a pantheon of chaotic individuals, we would like to believe that someone has a level head and their eyes are on the road. However, as we will discuss, Athena is quick to anger, enjoys vengeance, punishment, and wrath, and delights in crushing mortals who dare question her, which again, makes total sense. Now, as for reclaiming the Medusa's head as an icon of empowerment for femmes of all stripes, it makes 100% sense. It forces the male gaze to avert itself, and when it does dare to leer, then the man is turned into stone. This is its power, just as for eons it has been an apotropaic charm which could avert evil, specifically the evil eye. Medusa has a rightful place in the history and the movement of empowering women and challenging the patriarchy. Athena simply does not. So that's my little think piece that I wrote. <laughs> I, I love it and I, I love Medusa and I love like it's so true like the head the way the head of Medusa works was like w one of the first really empowering things for me in mythology but like yeah the idea that like rewriting that as like she's helping I mean that's like oh ugly up so you don't get raped like oh great like I have to make myself ugly so that people don't fucking abuse me like fuck that shit well there's people there's other podcasts I'm not going to mention any names that um, have tried to tell this story and basically said like that Athena came to her and comforted her and said I'm going to change you so that no man can ever do this to you again because if he dares look at you then you know you, you'll turn him to stone maybe just kill all the rapists and I'm like, or you could just fucking call out Poseidon. Yeah, right. You have the ability to do that. Punish Poseidon, not... Yeah, Nemesis is like your good waiting. girlfriend. Like, what the fuck yeah. are you doing yeah, right now? Exactly. You you're you know the Furies on a first name basis. Yeah. You can't just do something about this. Like, <laughs> you, don't you have literally to, like, have backup 
from other women who could like back you up on this and you could i don't know maybe facilitate a change in the structure but no you love the structure because the structure is where you get all your it's fucking power because your, yeah. your daddy's little girl it's annoying i will say that i do really like what people have done with gorgons since the story though especially in like pop culture in terms of like fantasy stuff oh yeah um because they're almost always like femme fatale which, by the way, did you know that's actually not a modern thing? Is it really not? No. Even as early as, like, the early Romans around Ovid's time, they started trying to portray them as beautiful but deadly. That's sick. Is that yeah, not the I... most wild shit? Pindar called it. them fair-cheeked, the Gorgons. Nice. Because that's the thing is, like, I think one of the my favorite things about, what is her name from Magic the Gathering, the Gorgon? Vraska. It's Vraska. Yeah. So one of my favorite things about Braska is her whole story is pretty much like there's no it's not that she happens to be a Gorgon it's like very much so because she's a Gorgon um, where she like takes over shit um, yeah and it's like a really cool like I don't know I, I, it was like a it's not directly re, um, you know referencing the Medusa story but it's very much so like influenced by it oh for sure now. I have another story to tell you guys because I want to be like fair and even handed about this. And I found another myth that I thought really should be told alongside the Medusa myth to give a little bit more of a full story of the way Athena thinks. So the Medusa story is off putting for obvious reasons, but this next story might just offer, like I said, a little more context. Cassandra was a prophetess of Troy. She had been given the gift of prophecy by Apollo and that's where it all went wrong. Originally, she was a priestess of Apollo. She was lusted after by the god who went on to pursue her, offering anything that she could want in exchange for sex. She asked for the gift of prophecy, and he granted it immediately. What happened next varies by telling, but she either then refused him altogether, or they started to get down, and then she pulled the plug on the whole thing. Consent has to be ongoing, kids. You can stop consent at any time and that's very important to remember the main thing to remember here is that she's a priestess of apollo and so she'd taken a sacred vow of chastity and was to remain a virgin for life and apollo's like yeah but it doesn't count it's me i'm 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 the god so it's it's fine like my dick is special either way apollo being a complete and utter fucking douchemonger cannot take away her gift as divine favors cannot be revoked or undone so he curses her so that all of her prophecies will be 100 percent accurate and that no one will ever believe her Such a dick. so there are plenty of stories in which she's desperately trying to warn her people of an impending threat and is ignored like when she screamed from the rooftops hey guys the big wooden horse is full of greeks and they're going to fucking kill us all but no one would actually believe her, so she turned into a raving lunatic. She was seen as, she was literally thought to be insane by everybody else in Troy. Yeah. Oh, and how did he curse her? He spit in her mouth. Oh my God, of course. So the next time you're like, oh, Donnie, you spit in my mouth. Think again. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not trying to kink shame you. It's hot, but you might lose your mind or people might think you lost your mind. I don't know. So, <laughs> now, why are we talking about Cassandra? Well, during the Trojan War, she was raped by Ajax, the lesser. There was two Ajax. Uh, <laughs> one is called Ajax, the lesser, and that's the one that rapes her. And I love that the rapist is the lesser. Yes, we already know. 
The Greeks were sacking Troy, and Cassandra had fled to the Temple of Athena and was clinging to her statue in supplication, begging the goddess for her protection when Ajax found her. Being the complete monster that he is, he raped her on the altar and then dragged her out into the streets to kill her. We can assume she got away because she doesn't end up dying there. We don't know how, though. It's not explained in the story. The Greeks set out for their return voyage, but not before the seer Calchas warned them that Athena was furious at what had been done in her temple and that she would destroy their ships if they did not kill him immediately. Nice. Odysseus called for Ajax to be stoned to death for his crimes right there on the spot. However, he claimed innocence by proclaiming an oath to Athena and then clinging to her statue in supplication, knowing that they would not defile her altar with his execution, so he was allowed to live, which is fucking nauseating. Yeah, really. However, the seer was right, and because they did not kill Ajax for his grievous crimes, Athena was so angry that she called on Zeus to send a deadly storm which destroyed many ships. She even wielded a thunderbolt and destroyed the ship Ajax was aboard in her anger. Poseidon got pretty fucking pissed about this whole affair. The sea is his thing, and if anyone's getting drowned, it had to be by his hand. Especially not by his bitter rival, Athena, who he had just lost to. And, like, his horse is the whole thing. So, he assists the men on that ship, providing rocks to cling to. And then Ajax can't help himself because he's a fucking moron, so he loudly declares that he would survive despite the efforts of the gods. Poseidon... It's like, oh, okay, hold my beer. Nice try. Yeah. Poseidon has a, just could not believe the presumption and the insolence of this small man. So he then struck the rock Ajax was clinging to and dragged him to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. This story doesn't end there. Oh, no? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Athena sends a plague upon the people of Locris, Ajax's homeland. An oracle explains what had happened and that they needed to send two maidens to Troy as suppliants chosen by lots. The first two women went and they were almost killed by the Trojans fleeing and hiding in Athena's sanctuary. They lived there the rest of their days, sweeping the temple, burning the incense, cutting off their long hair, wearing a simple tunic and no shoes. But they never approached the goddess. This was repeated with two new maidens for 1,000 years. What? Oh. After which Athena was finally pleased to absolve the people. So it does seem that she is against rape, especially one of her priestesses or in her temple. It just seems that she was unwilling or unable to take on Poseidon for some reason. Also, like, women still have to get punished? Like, I don't understand that part, but yeah. sure. Yeah. She picks and chooses a little bit. Uh, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. When it's convenient and comfortable. Yeah. So, just the same way that we see a contrast or possible contradiction in Athena's reaction to a rape victim, we also see it in her reaction to the weaver. So, we all remember how it went for Arachne. Not so well. Well, enter Nicandra. First of all, stellar name. That's just awesome. Very good. Well, Nicandra was a common woman without much to her name, and so, of course, she was thrilled when Alkanoe, a wealthy woman, asked her to come and live with her in order to do all of her weaving. She did so and lived in her great house for a year, after which she wanted to collect her wages and move on. Well, it turns out that Alkanoe is ancient Greek for Karen, because this bitch was like, fine, go, (laughs) I'm not paying you, and threw her out on the street. No, Nicandra was an unmarried young woman with no social standing, and she had no way to get what was rightfully hers. So she called out to Athena, 
who she had worshipped her whole life in pious devotion, beseeching the goddess for vengeance on her behalf. And Athena, learning what had happened, was all too happy to grant this request. So there came a time when Xanthos, a stranger from Samos, was visiting, and Athena made Alkanoe fall madly in love with him. She abandoned all of her children and scorned her husband, causing a great scandal and ruining her reputation. But she didn't care. She would follow him to the ends of the earth. So when it was time for him to return home, of course she sailed away with him. But as they reached the midpoint of the journey, she suddenly realized where she was and what she had done. It was as if a fog had lifted. She was inconsolable, and although Xanthos tried to calm her down, she cried out in anguish and threw herself into the sea. Damn. <laughs> Tip your dry cleaners or else, y'all. There you go. Though, <laughs> <laughs> so, do we... I just want to, like, broach a topic with everybody here. Do we think that Athena was a virgin goddess in the classical sense? I guess I don't know enough myths that would... Is there... I mean... Are there indications? I'm just asking what your perception is. Yeah, I feel like the thing that has been most consistent is probably that she's asexual. She seems more asexual to me as well, but that maybe is just because I don't know. But also, I don't know, the palace thing is... Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. true. And it's like, if she's... Just keep pulling on that thread... If she's, like, demisexual, then, like, the palestine could have really fucked her up. Maybe she's, like, you yeah, know. Yeah, that's true, too. That makes a lot of sense. So enter Mermax, which, again, stellar name. Mermax. Yeah, why? I want a Mermax dress. You... I want all no, of you... my plates to be made out of Mermax. You drop this in your bathtub when you need to grow a tail. Yes. Mermax. It turns yeah. into a mer- merperson. Mermax was pretty explicitly depicted as the beloved of Athena. It was, she was literally called that. She was a young Attic woman and they were madly in love. And they were hanging out one day and Athena invented the plow. I guess she was bored. (laughs) And wondering at her lover's brilliance, Mermex had a wicked thought. And she made a terrible mistake. Uh -uh. She claimed the invention as her own. Oh. Oh no. Mm Mm-hmm. We already know she does (laughs) not like that. No. For this betrayal, a heartbroken Athena turned Mermex into... Do you guys want to guess what she turned her into? (laughs) It's a bug. It's always a bug. It's a hard worker. Ant. 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 She turned Mermex into the first ant. Rib. Yeah. Why? And then I guess stepped on her. I don't know. (laughs) That's so... Yeah. It's just, you know... It's a bit extreme. It's a bit extreme. Like, that's your girlfriend, though. Like, what are it's you like, doing? Why can't I keep a relationship? Because you keep fucking turning people Stop into bugs. Stop killing your girlfriends by accident. And or killing them. Yeah, she's the only deity that I know of that turns anybody into bugs. So if you want to know why <laughs> the uh, insect kingdom is so vast. She's just pissed at a lot of people. And organized, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But also, I think about, like, if I were to take credit for something a Virgo had actually put the work in to do, yeah. I would be expecting ire. Take your, so, You're like, taking your life in your own hands yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't be upset about what happens. It's going to go down. Like, um, Also, just I wanted to do a little fun fact for everybody, uh, because I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. Everybody knows the Parthenon, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was the Parthenon? Uh, As in, like... Like, as a building, what was its function? It's a 
I thought it was like a it was like a just a super important temple to um, that just had like the most temple. like resources and like put into building it. Uh huh. A temple to who? I know it was I built in. Know. It's in Athens, right? Yeah. 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 Um, but I don't think it's to Athena. Um, is Athena it? is the one that has the giant statue in it. It wasn't actually a temple. Oh. It was built on top of a former temple that got destroyed during a war. It was built in the style of a temple, but for almost the entire time that the Greeks had it, it was basically the Federal Reserve building. Oh. Yeah, it was like the bit, like the main, yeah, it was like the main government bank for Athens. That's pretty sick. Isn't that wild? Um, it was it was on it was on the Acropolis, and her main yeah. temple right. was somewhere else on the Acropolis, and that's, that's okay, where. Because I was... remembered that the part, yeah, that it wasn't like yeah, her statue's there, but it like wasn't a temple to her. But I didn't know it was a bank. Yeah, that's it really wasn't thing. a temple to anybody. It was like a it was like Some a. Money. It was part like it was it was kind of part the Federal Reserve, part the stock exchange. Like it almost yeah. had like the the same amount of activity as the stock exchange, but it, it was kind <laughs> of also it was still this like huge reserve. Government it's full building. Full Deco. Not wild. That's weird. So speaking of elaborate government buildings, let's talk about the Romans. So here we go. We're gonna talk about Minerva. Isn't that? Um I I know her as Minerva. Then I also know that like Buzz Lightyear's like crew there's someone named minerva and she's like the wise one it was like a direct reference to it like the athena minerva thing buzz lightyear buzz lightyear has yeah. a crew what i thought he's always yeah. alone there's an there's an animated show where buzz lightyear had like a crew and he fought his dad zerg or oh, something. i don't know i don't know, these I don't know if it was his dad outtakes. or not but i just assumed it was his dad because it was like clearly darth vader <laughs> mm. uh i typed in buzz lightyear buzz lightyear minerva this is the most deep, deep cut ever the first thing that popped up was a YouTube clip, 13 seconds long, called Buzz Lightyear Corrects Minerva. <laughs> We're in the, oh, the no. depths of the internet right now. It looks like she's oh, an owl with pigtails. Of so course. So that's that. I just feel like as we do this podcast, you're more and more exposing yourself as a furry. And I'm not sure how far this is going to go. But like, I don't know. Saying if... Mermax is a bath bomb that gives you a tail was kind of not necessarily subtle. <laughs> that wasn't I don't baby, uh, know yeah. if exposure is necessary. Uh, <laughs> I that just are... <laughs> want your league of fan to know yeah, who it is that honest. they are, whose team they're on. I just let's want them to know that. Fan. Hey, uh, you know, I just, you know, if you have the goal of, you know, becoming everything, then there's just a, there's a lot of experiences you have to have in order for, to achieve that goal. This is just one um, of many. Oh I my see. god! I'm not having fun on my way to getting to that goal. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So, what <laughs> would the difference between Minerva and Athena be? Because it kind of feels like, at the outset, and this I'm just gonna give you my perception. Okay. There are some Greek and Roman god pairings that I'm like, they couldn't be more different, right? Mars and Aries, easy. Aphrodite, Venus, easy. Zeus and Jupiter, easy. Juno and Hera, easy, right? Other ones, I'm like, I'm going to have to do a deep dive to know the difference between them because I don't really know. Like, okay, so like an example of like what I mean is like, I would have to kind of do a deep dive to figure out the differences between like Hephaestus and Vulcan, 
Right. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, they're both a god of the forge. Like, is there going to be much of a difference? There might not be. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Athena and Minerva kind of fell into that for me, where I was like, ah, I don't really know that there would be much of a difference. And then... But I did know in terms of stature there was a difference, in terms of their, like, importance. It's like, Athena's, like, the most beloved goddess. You know what I mean? Like, she's in all Mm. these myths, and she's got Athens, and she's got all this shit going on, right? But we think that because... We don't understand the level to which our Greek mythology that we think is like this country of Greece, which didn't exist, right, is through the filter of Athens. Hmm. Right. So we think that Athena is super like this big deal, but if you were in other places, she wouldn't have been a big deal at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's a lot of other places where Artemis would have been the biggest deal, and other right. places where Aphrodite would have been the biggest deal. So, and let's not even get into Mycenaean Greece. Um, but, um, <laughs> this is like, no, let's. We need a sound bite for every time you say that. Let's go. I just love, that's my favorite thing. Like, if I can get Vince to do that, that's all it's about. I got the best one ever in last week's episode where Vince went, let's fucking go. And I was like, yes. I fucking born ready. Literally, I felt like on my screen, it was going to pop up. Achievement unlocked. I was like ready. I was so happy. So, but for the Romans, there was a Roman, you know, empire, country, civilization that was a little more crystallized, a little more coherent, and there was a a bit more consensus about the gods, their stature, and all of that centered on Rome. Now, as the empire expanded, of course, there were localized cults and there was all of that, but you could definitely always look at things like what was going on in Rome and how that was essentially dictated out to everybody, but they could kind of do whatever they wanted at the like mm-hmm. height of the empire's growth. So anyway, Minerva was a big fucking deal. Athena, of course, like I said, you know, through the lens, she was, you know, like the most beloved, but for the Romans, there was nobody like Minerva. She was the goddess of, get ready for this, poetry, medicine, strategic warfare, commerce, the inventor of weaving and other handicrafts, wisdom, courage, inspiration, victory, defensive war only. All forms of offensive <laughs> war was Mars. They had a very clean divide there. Mm-hmm. Law and civilization the bestower of strength, bravery, and heroism, protectress of the city and state, guardian of the family, dispenser of justice, and inventor of mathematics, science, and technology, as well as patroness of all the arts. She's kind of a big deal. She's a big deal. They took, like, Hermes, Athena, like, (laughs) Yeah, they, like, mixed a bunch. It's, like, a bunch of, it's, like, our values Themis. as a people, yeah, our values as a people personified is... Basically, <laughs> exactly. It's kind of everything in society. <laughs> yeah. She was depicted as a tall, athletic, muscular woman of great beauty and even greater strength and wisdom. Minerva was so beloved that Varro, the Roman writer, described her as the idea and the plan for the universe personified. Nice. Wow. Then we have... Get on your slide in the DM game. Uh- <laughs> then we have menerva or menrova which is the etruscan forebear okay she gets her name minerva the name comes from her etruscan forebear menerva or menrova and she also got some of her defining attributes as well 
Menruva was quite different from Athena. She was a lightning thrower and could greatly affect the oh. weather. This set her apart as being of really high rank, as there were only nine gods that the Etruscans named as being able to wield lightning. It was never That's just the main sick. guy. Mm. Menruva... They had that whole, like, thunder divination thing, right? Brontoscopy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Etruscans had an entire, like, daily calendar for the year for the Sound of Thunder, where it comes from, when it's observed, and all of those things, like how long it lasts. And this would be how you can interpret what the gods were saying. It's really um, because... hard if you don't have any storms for a while and you like need a message and you're just like, the weather's been really nice. Well. That's the sick thing about history. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Is you would think in our current context, why the hell would you create this for the whole year? Turns out... The Etruscans were so adept at divination, I just want to point out, they predicted the lifespan of their own civilization correctly. During the time that this was at its height, there was a unprecedented level of solar flare activity and an excessive number of thunderstorms happening on there Earth. Just, there actually just were. There actually yeah, was there actually a reason just, for this. Yeah. I, yeah. My, my brain was like... <laughs> I don't know if a brain can have an orgasm, but I yeah. flipped the fuck out when I learned that. Now, Menruva was part of a triune of gods, along with Uni, who, remember, is Juno Hera, and Tinia, who is Jupiter Zeus, which would later be crystallized in the Capitoline triad of Juno, Jupiter, and Minerva. For the Etruscans, she was the goddess of wisdom, medicine, the arts, dyeing, like fabric dyeing science, trade, and war, who was said to have invented numbers, chariots, ships, and musical instruments. She often appears warlike in armor. However, one of her main kind of day-to-day -day things was that she educated children, and she was fiercely protective of them. Oh. She was also said to be the special counselor and tutelary goddess of rulers. Like, they were supposed to consult her in sense. divination for her wisdom yeah. on making big decisions. So that, my friends, is essentially our episode on Athena. I wonder now if maybe just at a young age, the wires of Minerva and Athena were getting crossed. And I actually was much more into Minerva. Because I think like the way that I think of her more matches up with Minerva, or mm -hmm. at least with that I thought of her then. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I would have had the ability to like differentiate the two at the time. No, I definitely think a lot of my <clears throat> my like perception of of Athena matches Minerva as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where like Minerva is that steady hand. She's not easy to provoke. She is very much an exemplar, you know, that is her thing. She's meant to be the counterpart to Mars. I mean, they really are literally supposed to be exemplifying the sort of the mice maiorum the via romana you know the the way of being roman what is romaness this is what you should aspire to so yeah i mean i definitely think that there's quite a lot that's interesting in the, in the difference between them there is definitely a lot of daylight between them so i guess it's it's the thing you're always it's the thing you're always pointing out though that the greek the Greek in some way is just so much more melodramatic always. And I feel like she mm -hmm. seems a little bit more just like, it's just like all of them are a little more spazzy and like cartoony and um, me like messy. Which I think is why their stories have lasted. Which I mean, it's why the Romans fell in love with their stories. Yeah. You know, the Romans yeah. fell in love with the depictions and the stories and all of that. And, you know, kind of 
took the ones they liked and cleaned them up and then put them on their gods and all of but that. But often, so. yeah, because of that, though, like, I feel like often when you give us these comparisons and we when we look at the comparisons, it's like the Roman version is like the mature version. Yeah, the responsible the version. The responsible, more, like, <laughs> yeah. more honed, more mature, takes, like, takes the best qualities, but is, like, a little bit more, like, somebody you would look up to, whereas the Greek version is always a bit of a mess. Yeah, some of them are definitely a refined version of the Greek. Others are almost entirely the Etruscan or Latin or Italic or Sabian pre-Roman god that then yeah. got sort of formalized in a Roman way, but then got the merch and the iconology of yeah. the Greek, the right? Greek. Yeah. Um, and then some are just a flat-out import. I mean, don't forget, Apollo was also a Roman god. They just flat out were like, we need we need this. Same we don't one. really have it. <laughs> well, because they had Sol, who was Helios, basically, but they didn't have the equivalent, like, more near familiar god who was mm -hmm. a personage and not just the thing itself. In the sky, yeah. Right, and so they were like, well, Apollo works. Everybody likes Apollo, right? And I'm like, no. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's wild because... Apollo is um, kind of in an obligatory way considered to be Diana's brother, but like Diana is is really far away from Artemis. Yeah, real different. Like same way that Venus, as we'll go over in Aphrodite's episode, is like there's almost no similarities there. Yeah. Like, and so it's wild to see the difference in their character because you're talking about two very different goddesses that just got ended up getting painted the same way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Uh, overall, I mean, the thing that I really like is I, I, I also want to just, like, make it really clear, like, I'm never showing favor to one or the other, and I'm never trying to advocate for one over the other. I think that both of them confront us with the idea of, like, what do you want your gods to be? Mm. Some mm -hmm. civilizations have seen their gods as, you know, being a fact of life and that they can do whatever they want. And so, of course, then they have all these tales of them acting in ways that you know we as humans would find reprehensible and then we have other civilizations whose gods are meant to always be perfect and therefore that's what you're supposed to model yourself after and then there's a lot of civilizations that do somewhere in between some kind of mix of both and so it sort of says a lot about that culture's worldview. It says a lot about their cosmology, about how they value order or they don't, or they find that order is a, ne a necessary thing, just as they would also either value or find the necessity of chaos. And so I think it's really, really interesting to kind of contemplate why the characters are so different in these different peoples. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Well, I think this yeah. helped me, I mean, like hone in on Athena to an extent I mean I think she's obviously really interesting and important and like will come up a lot and holds a lot of power but I think with that power with that acceptance of that power comes some things that are we today don't tend to like or we at least don't like you know mm. she's like sold her soul a little bit it seems which then again you know you kind of have to look at it and go well is it more grievous that she did that than how the men in power act and they didn't have to sell anything? And you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, what is she, what is she really supposed to do? I mean, she could be Hestia. She's making the most of... just chilling and then ends up yeah. giving up her seat. Cause she's like, ah, I'm good. But no <laughs> one would be, no one would be in the power that Athena's in if they didn't act probably the way she's acting at that time, at least right. in this situation, like that just wouldn't happen. In this economy, please, you know, it's yeah. yeah. I guess if I, though, if we look at the episodes as reasons to come to Olympus, I still we're still not doing great. 
I think we haven't hit we haven't There's hit like all the faves yet. I want to visit yet. Yeah. Well, There's, I think we got a lot of them out of the way. I mean, we we already did four out of the six elder Olympian yeah. gods, so we still have to do Demeter and we have to do Hestia. After that, we're done. We don't have to do the the elder Olympian gods. And a lot of times, the elder Olympian gods are definitely a little bit more. They set the foundation for the world, but they're not necessarily, like, riveting. You know, like, I know some people who are like, I fucking love Poseidon! And I'm like, okay, cool. But, like, there's a lot more people I know that are like, if you ask them who's your favorite, they're gonna say Artemis, Apollo, Aphrodite, Ares. They're gonna say the younger of them because there's a lot more myths with them. They get up to a lot more mischief. They have a lot more personality. They're not necessarily seen as like the tent poles that hold up the world. They're seen as the characters that play on the stage, you know? Yeah. We need the grand archetypes first though. I think like it's important whether we like them or not. How are we going to like them? We're not going to like them. They're not like real people. They're not as intimately, you know, nuanced probably because they have to be these huge presences. No, but you have to know where they come from, though, because like how we were saying last week, talking about the difference between Ares and Athena and especially like what it says if Ares is the child of Zeus and Hera and how this week we were saying like, well, Zeus is her dad. You know, like if you don't do Zeus first, you're not going to have that context for like, why is she doing that? And it's like, well, Jesus, you got to understand it. Yeah. Yeah. At all points, like who your parents are matters the most in Greek mythology, because you literally take on part of their essence. Like you have the fact that you had Erichthonius, right? This kid who was technically (laughs) born of Athena and Hephaestus. So of course he's the craftiest motherfucker in the land. He's inventing shit constantly. He's, you know, helping out his people. So that's, he wouldn't have that if he wasn't from them. I mean, so much of your intrinsic makeup would be that. So yeah, I I think it's really, it, it fills a lot of things out so that when we do talk about Hermes, we'll have a lot more context for who he is you know they'll be more wooing and less like ugh. yeah that's the thing i do <laughs> we're gonna have more woo episode. remember hades episode we were just wooing we up were the so storm. excited we were so hype yeah. we were so, and, we had, and we had fun with poseidon's episode well, you yeah. know what i mean but when it comes boy. to like when it comes to zeus hera and athena it's gonna be a lot of like it's a little rough uh, you know, uh, yeah. but you know, we do have some really great ones coming up. Who is the god that you know we're going to talk about that you're the most excited for their episode? They, like an Olympian, or could be anyone. I, I mean, mine are. I have three. Okay. Uh, Dionysus first mm-hmm. because Avi, right? Um, and then after that is like equally Hermes and Pan. Mm. Um, but you know, for the same reason. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rowdy Boys, That's I get it. I think Hermes I'm the most excited about. I mean, Hecate, obviously, but, like, Hermes, I think of the... Because she's sort of a separate thing. But, like, I think Hermes I'm really excited. I really loved Hermes growing up, and I'm, like, excited yeah. to even, like, delve more deeper into him. Because I feel like he was, like, the one I related to the most mm. growing up. And, and I, so I'm excited about that. But, yeah, Dionysus as well. So have we, at this point, would you say tackled your fave no no right before no. this before this year yes because it would have been hades probably okay yeah hades is up there but um but as of late dionysus has become very important so um if you had to be if you if you were in ancient greece and you knowing what you know so far we're going to be a priest priestess or priest of any deity who would you pick this is like whether these whether they actually had that or not like Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Ooh. 
I want to say Dionysus, but that involves a whole lot of stuff that I just not, my brain is not equipped to actually. Oh, yeah. You have to be a DJ, a bartender, a club owner. You have to do a lot of things to be. There's a lot of things you have to do. <laughs> At the you time have to do I... basically crime scene cleanup <laughs> after <laughs> every festival. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Of. Like, there's a lot of CSI. That I'd have to get comfortable with. Blacklight. <laughs> yeah. What do I don't know that much about what the like servitude of Hermes would be. Yeah, that is that was I was thinking about. like what would that be? Sounds cool. We're though. gonna talk about that. That does sound fun. I think probably for me. It's though, just the post office. Yeah, you're yeah. just like, you're a messenger boy. He's on a bike, bike messenger. I think I think at the time though, in reality, it would I would be like in whatever the church of hades was like <laughs> yeah it'd be like the big like big underworld guy i but i think like it would be more interesting for me to think like hmm like hermes maybe or like you know but i think probably it would have just been hades cool i think given like Drama. dionysus's whole like the other part of him that's like revolution and like his tie to like the the marginalized i think I probably still would have been Dionysus, even with the dismemberment stuff. Because, mm. um, like, the whole underground wine thing is pretty sick. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Being anti-king is also pretty sick. What about you? Um, oh, for me. Uh, okay, the one that I'm the most excited for us to do. Ooh. <laughs> I gotta... Th- uh, Aren't I you, think- like, Team Artemis? I think I, I think I am the most excited to talk about Artemis and Diana and Artume, who's the yeah. Etruscan one, um, who is wild, like has nothing to do with the other two and is really scary. Cool. So I think that'll be really cool to talk about. Yeah, I definitely I'm excited about that. Uh, no, we haven't done my fave yet, although obviously I'm like team like fuck demon daddy Hades. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and if I had to be a priest of one of them. I think that I would probably be a priest of I do like the idea of being like a priest of less Aries, more like Mars in terms of like a a priest of Bologna who Mm. was do you remember we talked about Enyo who was like the goddess of war that rides in his chariot with him Mm. Um, so her counterpart is Bologna but Bologna is probably the closest thing to like an equivalent to Athena because she's got a lot more of a steady hand, but she still, like, delights in fucking destruction. Kill, yeah, um, yeah, she also kind of looks a little bit like Athena. Like, she's got that whole, like, breastplate, plumed helmet, like, stuff like that. But she's definitely not got on, like, the long dress Warrior. and the owl and all that. Yeah. Um, but Tougher. the fact that there were, like, battle priests in ancient Rome. Yeah. Um, that is something I can't wait to talk about when we talk That's, about Ares and Mars. Awesome. Because yeah, that we're going to get to talk about Evocatio. Just a little teaser. It's basically a whole ritual you do before you even go to battle to try and entice away the patron god of the city you're about to sack. Oh. And if it's, if it's successful, you then, like, would let out a specific, like, trumpet call and half the time the city, the soldiers would just lay down their arms and give up because their god had deserted them. Because they're like, oh, no, we're going to yeah. die. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's like, okay, let's say gods aren't real. Brilliant psychological warfare. Just oh, yeah. absolutely <laughs> fucking brilliant. Yeah, that's genius. Uh, anyway. Taylor, it reminds me of that time that, I think it's like the Persians or something, realized that like cats were holy to the Egyptians, so they strapped cats to their shields and approached the city, and the Egyptians were like, fuck, we can't, I guess we gotta 
that's it. That's just <laughs> oh, that's so that's so grimy. That is just yeah, so, so bad. bad. <laughs> Poor so cats. Bad. The fucking cats are just yelling. You fucking ah! better not. <laughs> so terrible. Oh my god! All right, well, guys, thanks so much for joining us once again for a romp through ancient Greece. Uh, we have ended another episode bitter and disappointed, and I promise that that is not going to continue. We are going to have so much fun talking about the gods and goddesses coming up. I believe we decided that next week is going to be Hestia, who is really really fun, and then we'll get to go into Vesta, the Roman version, who is mm-hmm. huge for ancient Rome. Um, and we'll get to talk about the Vestal Virgins and like what happens if they find you getting some loving. Um, <laughs> it's wild. So other than the love of God, we will see you in the next episode. Until then, we say to you from us here at When God Was Queer, wherever you are, our cacophony of queerness. Be gay. Do crime. The gods are always watching. The gods are always watching. Oh my god. I hate it. Bye. Bye.